Welcome uh, to you all. My name is Nick Price. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. And uh, I also want to start with a word of apology. I am going to be preaching with this mask on. Uh, reason why is my whole family is homesick with a sore throat, and I did not want to inadvertently pass anything on. So, if, uh, so I'll do my best to be understandable, but if you can't understand me, pretend like you can. Uh, that'll just help me to feel a little bit more confident uh, preaching with this thing on my face. Um, but uh, again, we are delighted that you are joining us together this morning uh, here at Trinity, especially as we are continuing in a series that we are calling The Being Challenge. This is a 40-day journey that we have been on together as a church. It's 40 days of spending time with Jesus in order to become more like Jesus. And specifically, we've been looking at what are those habits, those rhythms of life that Jesus had, and what would it look like if our lives were patterned, uh, were patterned in a similar way. We believe that if you're going to become like someone, you have to be with them. And so uh, the first habit we looked at a couple of weeks ago was the habit of committing to community. We believe that you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected re relationally, and the reason why is because that's the way God designed it. He designed it that we would grow in relationship with him and in relationship with others. And then last week, we looked at habit number two, which was studying scripture. And what we saw is that the Bible actually isn't a religious book at all, because it's not a book of rules. It's also not a book of just nice sayings. It's not a book with, filled with hero stories. Actually, most of the people in the Bible are flawed, messed up people just like us. Rather, it's a love letter. It's a story about how our God, who is indeed love, pursues imperfect people. See how scripture ultimately points us to Jesus. He's at the center of the whole thing. And that's why we study it, is so that we might know God and know him better. And this week, we're getting to the third habit, which is prioritizing prayer. And uh, one of the things that we need to understand about uh, prayer is that Jesus was praying all the time. Uh, oftentimes, before he would go into his busiest of seasons, Jesus would spend time apart just talking with his father. Prayer was a way of him getting on the same page with his dad, of refocusing around that which is most important. And so this morning, we're going to look at a little bit of our, our own prayer lives and ask, what does it mean to prioritize prayer? And so I think it's only right that before we talk about prayer, we actually pray so I would invite you to please bow your heads and pray together with me. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have indeed gathered us together in this place that we might come to know you. And we pray that as we study your word, you would reveal your heart to us and you would show us who you've called us to be. And so Lord, give us open hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us. And I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, I believe that you can learn a lot about a person by listening to their prayers, by listening to what it is they ask for, by observing what it is that initially drives them to their knees. Often our prayers have a way of revealing what is at the very, very center of our hearts, what is most important us. And yet the, the tricky thing about prayer, though, is that very few people actually want to pray, especially in front of others. 
In fact, the quickest way to get any group of people to be quiet is to simply ask the question, so who wants to pray? And you'll notice that everybody shuts down. And I wish that I could say, like, church staff was a little bit better than that, but honestly, it's hilarious how every Wednesday morning we come into our team leaders' meetings, Pastor Mark will say, hey, we should kick it off in prayer. Who wants to pray? And, like, everybody's mic goes mute at the same time. It's like there's something about it where, where for some reason, whether you're in a small group or in a church or in a meeting, you, you name it, very few of us actually want to pray. And I've also found that since becoming a pastor, it, it's gotten particularly bad when I get together with my extended family. You know, for the holidays, right before dinner is served, it's like, we should pray. And then, like, all the heads in the room, like, turn and look at me. Like, he's the prayer professional. Let's have him lead us in prayer. Right? We've got this funny idea about prayer that somehow prayer is for the professionals, that prayer is all about saying the right words in the right way in order to, I don't know, get God's attention or something. Or somehow if we fumble our words, he's going to get upset. Which is why it's so important that we look at the passage that was read just a few moments ago from Luke chapter 11. Because in Luke chapter 11, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And I, by the way, take immense comfort from the fact that even Jesus' own disciples needed training in prayer. Okay, because I think prayer is something that's challenging for a lot of us. And I would say even for me, quite honestly. And so I love the fact that they were willing to be so honest and to say, Lord, can you teach us to pray? Teach us what we're supposed to say, what we're supposed to do when we come before God in prayer. And then what Jesus does is he gives them a model of prayer that totally upends all of their expectations and assumptions. It's a prayer that actually most people, even those who aren't familiar with church, know at least part of. It's what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Most people, if like a whole group starts praying that, we can at least follow along with that. But I don't think we've ever really stopped and asked the question, what does this prayer reveal about the heart of Jesus? I don't think we've ever stopped and slowed down and really considered just how radical a prayer this is. And so I just want to walk through it. One request, one petition at a time, and see what it is we can learn about the heart of God through the prayer that Jesus prays. He begins with these words. He says, all right, if you're going to pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. Now, the second half of that request would not have been shocking to Jesus' audience. As devout Jews, they believed that God was indeed holy. It meant that he was greater, more powerful, more set apart, more other than anything else in all creation. He is the perfect one. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his ways above our ways, his thoughts above our thoughts. God is the Holy One. Which is part of the reason why, for them back then, prayer was something that really the priests did. You needed, you needed an intermediary to go between you and the Holy God. That would not have been shocking. Jesus is saying something true about our God. He is holy. 
He is perfect. He is completely other. The shocking thing was actually the very first word out of Jesus' mouth. It was the title, Father. And it actually, we, we make it so much more formal in our English translations than what Jesus would have actually said. Okay, because, uh, you know, when we say Father, that sounds like, a, you know, a title, right? Uh, you know, oh, Father, you know, please forgive me. I have this request, oh, Father. Like, but no, that word that Jesus was actually using colloquially was the word Abba, which simply means Daddy. Jesus refers to God in a familiar, intimate family term. And what's so amazing is he says, this is how I want you to talk to God. Because you're right, he is holy. But what I want you to understand is that the holy, all-powerful God of the universe is also your loving dad. He is your loving daddy. He is the one who made you. The one who calls you precious in his sight. And before him, you can come just as you are. And honestly, I think this is part of the challenge that many of us have when it comes to a relationship with God, because I think that there are some of us who don't have good father relationships. We've been let down by our dads, or maybe our dads weren't even there. Maybe our dads were the direct source of pain in our lives. And this is part of the reason it becomes a little bit hard to get down on our knees and pray this because we, when we think of calling God Father, all that comes to mind are just these terrible images of brokenness from our past. But this is why this prayer is so beautiful because what Jesus is saying is he's saying for all the ways that your earthly dad has fallen short, your Father in heaven never, ever will. He will never fall short because he's perfect. He's the holy one. He's the one that your dad always should have been to you. It's his goodness and his grace that should have been reflected to you. And so if you felt like you couldn't have a relationship with your earthly dad, what Jesus wants you to understand from the very outset of this prayer is that you can have a loving relationship with God in heaven. And he delights in spending time with you. First word out of Jesus' mouth when he says, this is how you should pray, is to know that your God is your Father who loves you deeply. And you are welcome in his presence. Then Jesus goes on and says this, and then you say, your kingdom come. Now what does he mean by that? Well, a kingdom is simply a, a, an area or a region that is ruled by a king, right? It's where a king's rule and his authority extends to. And what Jesus longed for most was to see the kingdom of his father brought into this world. Why? Well, because we live in a broken world, a world of darkness and injustice, of wickedness and cruelty. And what he longed for most was to see the goodness and the love of his dad break into this world and make all things new. In fact, that's exactly what the Bible tells us when we get to its final pages. It promises that one day, God will come again in his glory and his kingdom will be from everlasting to everlasting. 
that it will stretch from one corner of creation to the other, that everything that's broken, everything that's dark, everything that's wicked and evil in this world will be swept away, and all that will remain is God's goodness, his love, and his light. Jesus says we should be praying for that. But many people have asked the question, well, well hang on a second, isn't God going to do that anyways? Isn't he going to bring his kingdom and his will into this world anyways? Yes, that's what the Bible says, which is why I love that we're celebrating the Reformation this weekend. Because I think Martin Luther really helps us understand why Jesus tells us to pray this. Here's what Martin Luther says in his small catechism. He says, in fact, God's kingdom comes on its own without our prayer. But we ask in this prayer that it may also come to us. In fact, God's good and gracious will comes about without our prayer. But we ask in this prayer that it may also come about in and among us. You see, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want you to pray for the kingdom of your Father to come into this world so that you may have eyes to see it and participate in it. He says, this prayer actually isn't for God. God is going to do this. Whether we pray for it or not, this prayer is for us. That we would be people who wake up every day and say, Lord, help me to see your kingdom. Help me to be a part of the restoring work that you are doing in this world. Help me to be in line with your will so that I can do what you've called me to do in ways that reflect your goodness to a world that so desperately needs it. So that I can bring light in places of darkness, healing in places of brokenness. Jesus says that's what we should be asking for. That every single day we wake up and we ask God, help me to see where you are at work. That I might bring foretastes of your kingdom everywhere that I go. Jesus says, and as you do that, one of the things that you can be assured of is that God will take care of every need that you have. Actually, I would argue that that's what the next three petitions are all about. God's promise that as we follow him and as we live for his kingdom, that he will provide for everything that we require. It's said so beautifully and so simply in the very next petition where Jesus encourages us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Now, I don't think we fully understand this phrase either because when we hear give us our daily bread, we think of just like a loaf of bread. And we think, well, that seems like a pretty low bar, you know, that uh, God is just going to provide for the bare minimum. But that's not what this phrase meant back in Jesus' day. To, to have your daily bread was to have absolutely everything that you required for life and health. It meant that every single need that you have in your life is not too small for God to give his attention to. When Jesus encourages us to pray that God would give us our daily bread, it's, it's him helping us to see that there's no need that we have that's too small for God to attend to. No need that we have that is too beneath him for him to address. He wants us to understand that if we have needs, our Father sees them and desires to meet them. And this is a beautiful assurance because of the fact that oftentimes we think that our daily bread is something we have to fight for. It's part of the reason we pour ourselves into our jobs and our careers, often to the detriment of our families and our friends and our relationships. It's because we believe that in order to have what we need, we have to fight for it. 
that we have to climb the corporate ladder, that we have to run the rat race, that we have to see the people around us as competitors over a limited supply. And what Jesus wants us to understand is God desires to set us free from that because he's the one who knows what we need. This isn't to say that we don't work hard at our jobs, that we don't value excellence when we're working alongside our coworkers, but what it does is it protects us from turning our work into an idol that will ultimately crush us. Because it reminds us that we have a father who cares for every little thing that we require, who promises to take care of every need, and who will show up when we ask him for help. The other way that God provides for us is by assuring us of his love. Love the next thing that Jesus asks us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. I think oftentimes the thing that keeps people from God is that they think that God is out to get them. I remember talking with a friend of mine and inviting him to church one time and saying, hey man, you should, you should come, I'm going to be preaching, I'd love to see you there. And he says, oh no. He's like, when I walk through that door, I just, I'm just going to be looking up the whole time, waiting for that lightning bolt to just strike me. We have this belief that we know that we've messed up in our lives, and that part of the reason it's hard to come to God is because he's disappointed with us. He's angry with us. He's holding all the ways that we've fallen short against us, and what Jesus wants us to understand as we pray this is that our God is actually a God of forgiveness. That his desire is to give mercy and grace to us. And that's why we can pray for this with confidence is because we know that that's exactly who he is. Romans 5.8 says it so beautifully. Don't you know that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? This is how we know God's love. And Jesus says, and just as you've received that forgiveness, you should pray that you would become people who give it that we would be grace people, forgiveness people, that when we encounter others, what they would experience in their interactions with us is the unbounded, limitless grace and love and forgiveness of the God who made them. One of the most heartbreaking things for me is realizing that the perception that most Americans have of Christians is that we are judgmental. That we are all about who's in and who's out, based on what you've done or what you failed to do, based on who you voted for or not voted for, based on how you feel about things like masks and vaccines, based on how you feel about what happens in the bedroom or doesn't happen in the bedroom, based on what you think about how we should use our money or not use our money, and so on and so forth. That is the most heartbreaking thing because that's not at the heart of Jesus' prayer. What are we to be known for? Forgiveness. Grace. It's just so beautiful about the church. That's what, that's what our world doesn't seem to get. Our world wants the church to be a place where we just say, hey, it's cool for you to be here because everybody here is okay. Many Christians want the church to become a place where we determine who's in and who's out and where we draw the line. But what Jesus says is that here in the church, you are welcome, not because everybody's okay, but because we're all screwed up. This is the one place where you don't have to put on a facade. It's the one place where you don't have to pretend to be something you're not. 
It's the one place where you can come as you are with all your brokenness, all your mess, all the stuff you screwed up, all the things that you failed to do, every missed opportunity, every broken relationship. You can bring it here because here, what you will hear is that you are loved and you are forgiven. That's why everybody's welcome. Not because we all have it worked sorted out, but because we all desperately know that we need God's grace and his forgiveness. And we desire to give that to others, to be grace people. Jesus says, that's what you should pray for. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And last but not least, he says, and finally, the way that God's going to provide for you is when you pray this, lead us not into temptation. Jesus knows that following God is going to be hard, that there will be temptations to give up, to take the easy road, to follow another path. And what he says is, he says, in those moments, your dad's going to lead you. He'll walk with you through every temptation. He will provide for every need. So you never have to doubt his love that when the going gets tough, he's right there by your side. Jesus tells us, this is, this is my father's heart. This is my heart for you. This is how I desire that you would pray. You need to realize that every time you, you bend your knees in prayer and bow your head, you are entering into the presence of your daddy who loves you and who will go with you no matter what. And lest his disciples doubt it, he then goes on and tells a pretty interesting story, right? He says, you know, every relationship in our world has limits, doesn't it? Even our best friendships have boundaries. Tells the story about, you know, suppose, you know, one of you has a, has a friend who comes into town, and so you go to your neighbor, and you're like, hey, uh, give me, you know, three loaves of bread. Uh, I'll, you know, I've got some guests, and I need to provide for them. The friend's like, hey, dude, boundaries. It's 930 at night. What are you doing knocking on my door? I don't want text messages. I don't want you calling me. He says, and, but you know that eventually you get kind of annoying enough. Your friend's going to give you some bread. He says, but not, not with your heavenly father. There's no boundaries with him. There's no limits. You're never imposing on his time. What you're asking for is not difficult for him to provide. He loves it when you come to him with your requests. He's delighted when you burst into his throne room with your needs. That's what he looks forward to. And he goes even further. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He says, every human relationship has limits, but not your relationship with your heavenly Father. No boundaries Nothing too inconvenient. He delights to hear from us, and I love how he ends this. It kind of is a little surprising if you stop and think about it. He says, you know, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, what do we expect him to then say? How much more will your father give good gifts to you? But that's not what he says. He goes even further. He says, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, 
our Heavenly Father doesn't just want to meet our needs, though He will. What He desires most is to live with us. To be with us in all of life's seasons. That's why Jesus says he, He desires to give you the Holy Spirit so that He might go with you, do life with you, walk with you no matter what. That's how far His love extends. And I can't tell you how many times people have asked me, well, how do you know that God loves you that much? How do you know that he's willing to go that far? And the answer is a simple one. We only need to point to the cross. Because it's there that we see just how far our Father in heaven is willing to go for us. That he was willing to leave his throne in heaven and become a human being. That he entered into our world to, yes, weep tears by our side experience our infirmities and weaknesses, lay his hands on us when we were sick to bring us healing. And then when we were guilty, rightfully so, before his glory and his majesty, he took the punishment on his own shoulders. He died in our place and he rose again to show us that not even death can keep us from the love of our Father in heaven. He says, and I want to go with you my spirit within you, that no matter where you go, you will never be far from my love. When we bow our heads in prayer, we find ourselves in the presence of the God who is our dad, the one who truly loves us just as we are and who promises to always be with us. And so this week, as we enter into the next the phase of the being challenge every single day is not something to check off your list, but an invitation from your heavenly Father to come and to receive his goodness. And so with that in mind, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks. That though we don't deserve your love, you give it anyways. That your desire is to be with us and to provide for us. And so we don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to hide. We don't need to worry that we got to get our words right with you. But we can just come as we are and talk to you. Knowing that your desire is to talk with us. And our prayer is that as we talk with you, you would shape our hearts and our lives around that mission of bringing the kingdom that we would become forgiveness people, grace people to those around us because as we spend time with you and we see your love, it overflows. That's our prayer and our longing. Help us to become those kinds of people simply by bending our knees and spending time with you. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.